The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. No markets for President's Day Monday, but still plenty of topics to discuss here on today's Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us once again, making us part of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to be here with you again. Markets closed for President's Day on Monday, but we still have a lot to discuss on today's show, and that will include a little bit of discussion about the markets. Of course, we're going to talk to Ken Zuckerberg with CoBank coming up here in segment three. He recently published an article talking about and sharing his thoughts on why lower fertilizer prices won't have that much impact on the acreage decisions for this spring planting season. We're going to get Ken's thoughts on that and talk a little bit about the grain markets as well with Ken coming up here in segment three today. Also, we're going to have a conversation with the president of Certified Angus Beef. John Sticker will join us in segment two, talk a little bit about the optimism in the cattle industry and the beef industry here coming up this year and beyond. And also pick John's brain on some things that are on the mind of certified Angus beef as we work through the year ahead. Coming up at the end of the show as well, we're going to talk a little bit about precision agriculture. Very interesting conversation on tap with Kevin Hykus from Intent. They're a newer software company that is helping to kind of bridge the gap between farmers and agribusinesses and providing a way to streamline data, all this data that we have surrounding our operations nowadays. We're going to learn a little bit more about intent and just talk about the future of precision agriculture with Kevin coming up at the end of the show today. So plenty of things on tap here for Market Talk, even though it is a market holiday on Monday. Now, speaking of it being a market holiday on Monday, let's take a look at how things wrapped up on Friday's trade before we get into some news headlines as well here on the show. And really on Friday, it was a mostly mixed to slightly higher day scene with a little bit of strength in corn and beans and in the wheat market as well with Kansas City, we the upside leader. Cattle had a decent day with the hog market under a little bit of pressure. Closing numbers from Friday's trade. Let's take a look at those. March cord was up one and three quarters, 677 and three quarters. We saw corn for July was up two at 666 on the day Friday. And looking over at new crop December corn, that was up two and a quarter, 595 at three quarters. March beans up three quarters Friday, 1527 and a quarter. July was up one and a half, 1514 and a half. November new crop beans were up two and a half at 1386 and a quarter. Soybean meal for March was down 30 cents a ton, 491.10. May down 30 cents a ton as well, 474.90. 
Soybean oil for March down 39 points at 61.51 and May down 40 points at 61.75. Over in wheat, March Chicago beat up a half penny, 7.65 and a half. July was up a quarter penny at 7.81. Kansas City wheat for March was eight higher, 9.06 and a half. July was up eight and a half at 8.83 and a quarter. And in Minneapolis, spring wheat March unchanged at 9.30 and a quarter. And we saw July up a half a penny at 9.16 and three quarters on the week, uh, on Friday, I should say. Now for the week last week, March corn finished down two and three quarter cents. December was down a quarter penny. March beans were down 15 and a quarter cents. November was up seven and a half cents. Kansas City March wheat was down two and a half cents for the week. Chicago wheat was down 20 and a half cents. And Minneapolis March wheat was down a half a penny for the week last week. Now over in the livestock trade, we saw again cattle higher on Friday, February up 80 cents, 163.57. April live cattle up 57, 164.65. June live cattle were up 40, 160.12. March feeder cattle up 30, 186.52. April down 15, 190.45. Lean hogs, April down 50 at 85.27. May hogs were down 45, 94.40. And June hogs were down 42 at 102.72 on the day on Friday. Really, traders kind of tiptoed around the livestock complex on Friday with live cattle getting a, a little bit of a boost with the wins in the cash cattle market, but feeders and hogs under some resistance and pressure. We saw box beef prices higher on Friday, choice up $1.49 at 28104 per hundred weight and select up 325 at 265.89 per hundred weight. And the cash cattle call for Tuesday is expected to be higher. While the hog market pork cutout values, we saw those uh, were down 97 cents, 82.09 on Friday, and the hog call for Tuesday expected to be higher as well. So again, market trade, fairly a decent day on Friday. Be interesting to see how the markets react after a long three-day holiday weekend. We did see some uh, freezing temps in parts of Argentina over the weekend. And that's going to impact that already really hampered uh, soybean crop down there. So something to keep an eye on. And then watching here in the U.S., major winter storms setting up for this week ahead, getting a little bit of uh, clipper system activity in parts of the far upper Midwest on Monday. But but then as we get into Tuesday night through Thursday, going to see a wide area, very uh, heavy snowfall on tap here with a major winter storm and blizzard conditions expected. We have blizzard warnings out for parts of the Intermountain West and in Montana, Wyoming. Winter storm watch out for much of the Dakotas into uh, southern Minnesota as well, parts of uh, northwest Iowa, northern Nebraska. So really seeing this storm track along the northern tier of the country. We're going to be keeping our eyes on that here over the week ahead as we take a look at a few news headlines in agriculture as well here on today's program before we uh, head to our break the pork industry still waiting for a decision on prop 12 and it's awaiting a decision from the supreme court regarding its case against california's prop 12 which tries to regulate pork coming in from other states Tyler Bettine is the director of producer services with the National Pork Producers Council. He says one state should not be allowed to regulate commerce in the others. Looking forward to hopefully seeing a result or decision from the court late February into March of this year. If we get a favorable ruling from the Supreme Court as 
we've challenged this on interstate commerce issues within the Constitution, we'll have that opportunity then to go back and argue our case before the district court in California, recognizing the impact this has not just on pork production, but across all sectors of our economy should one state be able to pass a ballot initiative on moral grounds that impacts interstate commerce across the country. He says producers should be able to determine how to best run their farms. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. This is about producers having certainty on how they grow their operations responsibly. And if we have multiple requirements from multiple states, certainly that hinders our ability to get affordable food to people that want it. No one's saying that different customers or retailers or others can't dictate what they would like to see on their shelves should consumers want to pay for it. But this is about preserving that choice for all consumers. Again, that is Tyler Bettine with the National Pork Producer. Council. And also before we head to break, the Environmental Protection Agency proposed new restrictions on using over-the-top dicamba herbicides in Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, and South Dakota. The label changes say no spraying on dicamba-tolerant soybeans in Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana after June 12th, or the V4 growth stage, whichever comes first. No spraying on DT cotton in Iowa, Illinois, or Indiana after June 12th, or first square, whichever happens first. No spraying on DT crops after June 20th in South Dakota. The EPA also said Minnesota's labor requirements remain the same as in 2022. All right, coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with John Sticker, the president of Certified Angus Beef, back with more market talk of the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program, pleased to have with us the president of Certified Angus Beef. John Sticker is with us here today. John, good to catch up with you, sir. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, pleasure's mine. I'm looking forward to the chance to visit. Thanks for the time, John. And I know uh, we didn't get a chance to catch up during the cattle industry convention, but glad we could do it here today. And love to talk a little bit about just some of your thoughts with this cattle industry here as we head into 2023. Let's start there. What's on your mind with this cattle industry and on the minds of certified Angus beef here as we begin the year? Well, I think as we move into 2023, there's definitely lots to think about. I don't think uh, uh, folks are uh, struggling to find things to give thought to as we move into this next year. You know, I think for us, uh, I always like to look at where did we start? You know, we come off of 2022 uh, as the second best year we've ever had at Certified Angus Beef from a tonnage standpoint. We sold uh, over 1.234 uh, billion pounds of Certified Angus Beef into 54 different countries around the world. And we've been at this branded beef thing now for over four decades, almost uh, 45 years almost. And, and so, you know, as we look at the demand that's been created and the fact that it now takes us about 5.8 million certified carcasses to meet the demand that's out there, I think it's pretty obvious to state that, you know, we're giving a lot of thought to supply, as I think a lot of folks in the industry are. Uh, we're in a, a unique position. Many of us in the industry haven't seen a supply that's going to be this tight uh, in our careers. And so I think that's a big part of what we're giving thought to, primarily because uh, this time around, demand for quality beef is so high. You know, the industry's done such a great job of listening to the consumer the consumer around the world wants our product, and here we find ourselves in a position due to Mother Nature and other unforeseen circumstances that we're going to be 
we're going to be in a tight supply position for a while, which is really good for producers. And so we're given a lot of thought being owned by producers that raise registered Angus cattle. We're pretty excited about that moving into this next year. But, uh, you know, we're a brand that's focused on creating demand. And once you create that demand, uh, your customer expects you to supply it. And so, you know, we can't go out and create more cattle overall in a short period of time. But what we can do is we can sell more of each carcass that qualifies for the brand as certified Angus beef. So we're really drilling down on creating stronger points of communication with our customers around the world to make sure that there is, if there is a, a box of certified Angus beef ribs, it's got a home. But also, if they can't get ribs or strips or, or another item that they want, what other items are there on that carcass from the chuck or the round or some of the thin meats that honestly might provide them a great option as well to continue to promote the brand and to sell more of that carcass to drive more premiums and value back to, back to producers in cow country? Well, John, I think about how you guys are working to create that demand and whether we see it domestically or in the export market. You know, we hear a lot about consumers, you know, they're always wanting to know where their food comes from. What are consumers wanting to hear about when it comes to knowing where their beef comes from and where that certified Angus beef comes from, John? Yeah, you know, consumers have always had a growing interest in what we do in the beef industry. And I honestly think that's a big part of the demand that we've created collectively as an industry overall. Uh, consumers uh, have more interest in what we do today than ever before. They don't necessarily have a stronger understanding of what we do uh, than they have in the past. And I think that's that creates that opportunity for us to create deeper, richer connections with customers and consumers to your point about where their beef comes from. And what we find is that when, when a consumer really starts asking us questions about uh, where the beef comes from or production methods, what they really want to know is they want to know that the cattle are well cared for. They want to know that the cattle are, are taken care of, that their needs are met. And in all honesty, we find that to be a very easy story to tell because all you have to do is tell the truth. Just tell the truth about how uh, American cattlemen uh, and women take care of the cattle uh, and make sure that their needs are met. And, and we do that by exposing them to the people that are involved in raising these cattle. Uh, you know, I think what's interesting about that is consumers have more questions about how cattle are cared for. And what's interesting is that producers, as producers, uh, we just want the consumer to also know that we're taking good care of the cattle. And so one of the things that we're focused on this year is not something that's necessarily new to the industry, uh, because beef quality assurance has been around a long time. But one of the things that we're focused on as a brand is to really help encourage producers to get certified through beef quality assurance, primarily because it really does help check that box uh, with consumers that indicates that, uh, you know, can producers care enough about what they do to go ahead and go through the little extra effort to get BQA certified. You know, it seems like something easy to do. And I think as producers, because beef quality assurance training has been around so long, we maybe take it for granted on the value that it really has. You know, one study that was done looked at uh, uh, surveyed consumers and asked them what their what their tone or attitude was towards beef production. And at the beginning of that survey, uh, only 44 percent were positive or strongly positive about the way we care for cattle. After they learned more about beef quality assurance, that number went to 70%. And so I think that tells us a lot about how we can take advantage of programs and systems that have been around for a long time to continue to build trust as consumers 
ask more questions about what we do as, as cattlemen and cattlewomen. Well, and to add on to that as well, another thought that I wanted to ask you about, obviously we have a lot of data in agriculture and in the livestock industry. And, you know, we continue to get more and more data as we advance and have innovation and technology. How do you see all the data that we have out there impacting marketing and more for certified Angus beef, John? You know, it seems like sometimes the more data you have, sometimes the less you understand is about the way it feels. But I think the reality (laughs) is, the reality is, is that without data, uh, we're really just shooting in the dark. And so the fact that there is so much data and information, not only about our industry, but also about consumer preferences today, it really helps us zero in on our target customer with the message and information that they seek about our brand or as a beef industry, what they seek about uh, our industry as a whole. And so as we look today, you know, that data really does two things. I would say first and foremost, um, the data that's out there today from a beef marketing standpoint is really what gives us a lot of confidence, uh, Jesse, about, about our ability to continue to serve the needs of consumers, to give them the beef that they desire, and also charge more for it. You know, obviously we all know our costs have gone up across the board. The price of beef is as high as it's ever been. And I know I get the question oftentimes that, well, at what point does the consumer push back and stop buying the product? And and I think there's no doubt because the data would say that they do trade around a little bit from one cut to the next uh, when it comes to uh, pricing and inflation and so forth. But I tell you what, what the data also tells us is they love our product. It tells us they love the taste of our product. It tells us that they do trust our product. They trust us as producers. And uh, that data gives us a lot of confidence that we can continue to grow beef demand as long as we keep the value side of the price value relationship in line. And so we get a lot of confidence from the data that we still haven't met that line where consumers are going to quit buying our product because of price. What the data also tells us, though, is that that value side of the equation while it still is heavily rooted in taste, okay, the product's got to taste great. It's also that value proposition is being shaped by other things. It's being shaped by animal care. It's being shaped by environmental questions. And so, you know, that data helps us as a beef marketer to begin to uh, augment our messaging, to tell a truthful story that really touches all aspects of, of the value that consumers are looking for when they pay the price for the products that we put out there. They wanna know it tastes good. They wanna know that it's produced responsibly and that they can feel good about both the people and the product that they're they're choosing to buy to feed their families. Well, John, great stuff, great insight. I'm sure if folks wanna learn more about certified Angus beef, uh, cabcattle.com, cabcattle.com, probably a great place to start, isn't it? Yeah, cabcattle.com is the best place to start. If you wanna know how to get involved or, or participate in our program. We're available to, to, to the industry. Uh, if you want to know more about our efforts with our Cut the Bull campaign and beef quality assurance training, you can find it there as well. And then, Jesse, anybody on social media, you can reach us at, uh, at CAB Cattle on both uh, Instagram and Twitter. Fantastic. With that, the president of Certified Angus Beef, John Sticka, thanks for joining us here today. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, pleasure's mine. Talk to you anytime.
And once again, great to have John Sticker with us, president of Certified Angus Beef. Again, no markets on Monday for President's Day for the week last week. March cord finished the week down two and three quarter cents. December cord was down a quarter penny. March beans were down 15 and a quarter cents. November beans were up seven and a half cents on the week last week. Kansas City March wheat was down two and a half cents. Chicago wheat was down 20 and a half cents for March. And Minneapolis March uh, spring wheat was down just a half a penny for the week last Last week. Well, coming up next here on Market Talk, we're going to talk about fertilizer going into the spring and how the uh, lower fertilizer prices may not impact acreage decisions as much as we would think. Ken Zuckerberg with CoBank joins us to talk about that and the markets on the way next. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program, pleased to have with us lead grain and farm supply economist with CoBank. Ken Zuckerberg is here with us today. Ken, great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us here, and we appreciate the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, Jesse, same. Thanks for having me on. It's good to uh, see you and look forward to uh, talking about fertilizer and anything else you might want to uh, visit with today. Definitely. Well, I, I think uh, this conversation is going to be a good one. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I know you just uh, released a article looking at fertilizer and, and talking about spring planting. And I think that's a, just a great place for us to start. You know, I've been hearing a, a lot of chatter start to ramp up here as far as spring planting, the acreage battle here in the U.S. What's it going to look like? What are we going to plant? Corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, Obviously, a lot of that ties into the fertilizer market. We know we've had issues. We've seen prices start to pull back. I know Nat Gas has pulled back. A lot of different things surrounding this fertilizer market. But I know your article, a couple reasons why lower fertilizer prices won't shift spring planting decisions. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on why you think that's the case, Ken. Certainly, uh, Jesse. So if we unpack it a little bit, I guess every year at around this time, uh, you know, I start putting pencil to paper as other people do about what is spring, what is the spring going to look like? What is the acreage mix going to be? And what's ironic to begin with is that uh, we have some initial estimates out in the marketplace, corn versus soy, that were, you know, slightly uh, higher corn versus soybeans. And that's even though there's some compelling economics for soybeans, notwithstanding that. Then we had this, as you know, this massive drop in natural gas prices, uh, candidly, the drop is was sharper than I expected. The corresponding drop on fertilizer was also sharper than expected. And then it raises the natural question as to, wow, if nitrogen prices are so cheap, wouldn't that benefit corn acres just given the differential and how you know things would, would pencil out? The reality is, as you also know, that a lot of the decisions made by growers that uh, do work and, and work with uh, CoBank's co-op clients, these folks make decisions in the fall for the next planting season. So if 
you have committed to a certain uh, regiment of uh, NPK with a decision to, you know, either rotate into corn or rotate out of corn into soybeans, the price drop that is experienced in the winter, it's not terribly relevant if you've prepaid for those inputs and you've also started, um, you know, any field operate planting or, or a, a field work or alternatively uh, a preliminary fall application. So while it's tempting to believe this great drop in fertilizer would accrue to the benefit of the fertilizer intensive crops, i.e. corn and wheat versus soybean, the reality is those decisions have been made and um, uh, should the situation stay where it is, then next year, clearly there could be the business case for uh, greater corn acres. But this year we think uh, uh, natural forces, if you will, will take over, not the uh, commodity price drop in plant nutrients. Do we think then, you know, thinking about that here, Ken, do we feel like that maybe some of this acreage battle could already be maybe baked into these uh, commodity markets a little bit, thinking about fertilizer, how you laid it out, how a lot of those decisions have been made? Do you think some of that's maybe in the trade already, Ken? So I would say it is, um, but also bear in mind that the indications that come out early on can be radically different within a few months. So for example, USDA obviously is the authority, at least the initial authority on uh, planted acreage and planting intentions. Um, you remember the past couple of years, uh, uh, the numbers come out in uh, uh, the end of March and the surveys, as I recall, are done in the beginning of March. Last year with the Ukraine-Russia situation, there was so much angst after the USDA numbers came out because there was the, you know, sort of a, a macro global event, which some would argue would be, you know, more important to, you know, plant more corn given uh, and wheat given uh, the dynamics of, of the Black Sea region. So there's always this tension of the surveys and then weather and then geopolitical events, and then what a given farmer is actually able to put in the field. So candidly, um, I don't make a lot of, you know, forward predictions on it because I know I'm going to be wrong in June and usually between June, uh, sorry, uh, uh, March and usually between March and June, um, mm -hmm. that's where I have a better ability to do field checks and speak with both growers and retailers to try to figure out okay, what will the June number be that is indicative of what this crop is going to look like? So that that's kind of how I go about it and think about it. Ken, one more thought on the fertilizer side uh, before we change topics a little bit. Do we worry about logistics at all? I know logistics have improved when it comes to getting fertilizer, you know, for this spring, but I know the concerns can still be there. Are, are we worried about any of that affecting uh, the markets and, and affecting farmers here this spring? The situation seems to stabilize prior to uh, uh, getting on the call, Jesse. I just did a quick check on, on um, you know, some uh, uh, transportation rates. And I also did a quick check in on the Mississippi River. So, um, you know, that situation has seemingly uh, corrected itself or mostly corrected itself from what I read. Um, I think the angst between rail and truck is at least somewhat stable. I will tell you, and this is uh, perhaps just me thinking about the world being uh, uh, 
you know, newer to ag in the past uh, decade, uh, spending, uh, you know, a few decades covering another industry. Um, you know, the Mississippi River is always low in September. So what am I missing? Right. We have that challenge and that anxiety that seems to happen every year. So when I think about what the industry should do, um, well, part of this may be to think about, um, you know, transportation, both grain and fertilizer, um, taking into account what seems to be a regularly occurring uh, event. Notwithstanding that, um, you know, shipping has been uh, uh, more, uh, uh, you know, stable. Um, I think part of the economic slowdown has helped, if you will, clear up uh, global supply chains. So going into this planting season, that's not the big worry on my mind. Ken, as far as the grain and oilseed markets are concerned here mid-February, you mentioned Russia-Ukraine. Feels like that is starting to become an, an issue back on traders, the forefront of traders' minds here. We obviously, when it comes to the soybean market, we have this big Brazilian crop. We have the dryness concerns in Argentina, so we're watching South American weather. Corn feels like it's kind of been range-bound choppy. It's got some overhead resistance to it here in the trade right now. As you look at these grain markets as a whole, what stands out to you as maybe the, the biggest factor, biggest challenge to watch for here as we work through the month of February? So as I think about it, the one-year anniversary of the Black Seas conflict, or if you will, Russia's invasion into Ukraine proper, um, you know, was one year ago. Um, it seems like there's an escalation likely uh, from what I read and, and hear. Um, will corn and wheat markets react to that? Could fertilizer react to that? By all means. Um, on your comment with corn, I think what's interesting is the uh, our export book is down relative to last year. And that is a weak spot on the corn. Soybeans have been better, uh, but of course, as you know, Jesse, this is that part of the year where, uh, you know, soybean exports would mm -hmm. probably start picking up uh, uh, from Latin America to China, not the US to China. Um, I, I think the markets are pretty efficient on that, but you know, there's there's fits and starts, right? When you think about, um, uh, you know, potential for a large crop, but then some challenges with respect to uh, harvest being slower, um, Brazil har soybean harvest being slower. So I am uh, acutely focused on all these items. I think we also want to uh, balance the fact that Russia seems to have a big wheat crop, yet they're complaining about the uh, Black Sea trade deal. So what is that? what does that grain export deal really mean? Well, they're still going to export their wheat. Um, it just means that perhaps the uh, Ukraine product may uh, not, you know, uh, uh, leave the ports or, or be delivered. Although the production <laughs> is so down that, mm -hmm. you know, even if it does get exported, we still will have, um, you know, probably tight supplies. So balancing all factors, I think we have generally tighter global stocks. I think prices are probably reflecting, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, relatively uh, tight environment for most of the grains. But um, you know, there could be volatility either way here um, as we come upon spring. Weather is the wild card. You tell me. 
um, you know, third year La Nina, but we also have some uh, suggestions that uh, that uh, uh, the La Nina effect may uh, reverse or at least uh, uh, move into the next El Nino, uh, El Nino uh, situation. El Nino, La Nina, mm -hmm. El Nino. So uh, when is that going to switch? What is that going to mean? And not for nothing, but whenever we have uh, natural catastrophes around the world, we just had this earthquake in Turkey, you know, we continue to see a lot of volatility in terms of, um, you know, so-called acts of God. And the U.S. Farm Belt is, is you know, is, is seen a lot of weather volatility in the past couple of years. So these are the things that are sort of in the backdrop of what I'm thinking going into planting. Well, a lot of things to watch out for, and I know folks can stay up to date with your commentary and more on the CoBank website, CoBank.com, under the Knowledge Exchange section, including that recent article about fertilizer prices. And, of course, we appreciate the time. Ken Zuckerberg with CoBank, thank you for joining us today. We'll have to get you back on again soon. Jesse, great visiting with you, and see you again very soon. Up next, we'll talk with Kevin Heikis of Intent. Back with more Market Talk right after this market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen and joining us now here on the program he is the president of field solutions with intent kevin heikis is with us here today kevin great to have you on the show welcome in i hope you're doing well jesse thanks for having me appreciate the time and really you know thinking about intent and some of the things you guys are doing when it comes to agricultural innovation let's let's back up and start i know you gave me a little bit of a rundown before we jumped on air but give us a, a little bit of background into intent and some of the uh, details about the company real quick certainly jesse we were founded in 2016 and we're a data and insights organization and really it's been an evolution and being a an entrepreneur and following this it's been a lot of fun and so the the thing is, when we started in 2016 and we talk about innovation, the one thing that we've learned is that it has to start with the farmer. And so we started in, in 2016 and ran uh, less than 25 field trials. And what we found out is that's extremely challenging. But over the last several years, we've been able to develop a process and a platform to make that much more efficient. So really what we do is we help agribusinesses and clients bring their innovations to the farm. I think that's really cool. You guys are kind of helping bridge that gap between, you know, farmers and ranchers and all this new technology that's being thrown at them. And I, I think, Kevin, you know, technology, innovation and in agriculture, it's just becoming so much more important by the day. Why do you think farmers should be really involved in this process of uh, innovation and in agriculture? Well, the first thing that I would say, and, and someone that grew up in agriculture and grew up on a farm, and, and even today, my dad reminds me that the farmer has to be, it's easy to say the farmer has to be the center of the innovation circle, right? But I think there's a lot of people in this industry that talk about farmers, and I don't know how many are actually talking to farmers. And so even my dad and, and farmers that I talk to all the time remind me that we need to understand which of these innovations will work. So we've taken this farmer-centric approach. And we think about when we started with just field trials, we, we helped companies say, we're going to go to the field, we're going to test products. But the most important thing is that we listen to farmers. And I think that there's been so many times where maybe products are invented and they're a good product, but then they go right to the sell to farmers. And if you're thinking about innovation and you talk about iteration, all the things that have to happen, you have to listen to the farmers and you have to go through the entire journey to understand 
what products are going to work and how are they going to work at the farm? So I think that's the number one thing. I think the other thing is when you think about farmers and why it's important is there's a ton of variability. You can't look at a farm and you grew up in Iowa. You can't look at a farm in Iowa and I live in Kansas and compare it to the farm in Kansas. We're approaching things different. Environmental conditions are different. Market conditions are different. What we grow are different. So I think those are all things. And when I look at our platform, how we ingest environmental data and market data, and we help Farmers understand what works and what works in Iowa may not work as well in Kansas. And I think those things are important for the farmer, but they're also important for the organizations and companies that are bringing these products to, to market. So I think those are, are some of the most important things. Well, and that's a great point you make. And I mean, honestly, I'll take that a step further. You know, differences between a farm, you know, say between Iowa and Kansas, there might be differences between a farm field across the road. You know, that that's how hyper local some things can get here in agriculture but the beauty is technology is helping us to advance further and i know i'm sure some of the different things that you guys are working on at intent some of the different field trials etc recently are all part of that equation kevin i'll give you an example i think this this really resonates to your point um when we launched the business and we started connecting farmers to agribusinesses the number one thing that farmers will tell a company is they're not afraid to pay for a product I just want to know that it's going to work on my farm. So when a farmer logs into the Envision platform today, uh, I call it the money shot. And this is what we saw in 2016. And I will tell you that this was done uh, very manual back in the day. But when a farmer can see all their letter layers, here's my field, here's my Sergo layers, here's where I planted, here's where I applied, farmers started to say, this is what's really important. And then you go in and clean that data and say, here's where the product was, here's where the product was not and they could see product performance. That was number one. But then we broke it down and said by soil type how they could understand that. And I think just that, we call it view field. It's a very, very simple concept, but that happened in 2016. And to this day, farmers will tell us that that is the most important thing that, uh, that they can be able to go in and look at product performance by environmental conditions. It just uh, hasn't changed and that's what they're looking for. Kevin, that's a great example. As we look out to the future here, the next five to 10 years, in your eyes and with the company with intent, where do you see Precision Ag, Ag Innovation going here in the next five to 10 years? What are some things that farmers really need to kind of maybe keep on their mind and, and look at here on the horizon? I'd love to tell you that it's going to be easy, but I've been at this for 25 years. And, and the one thing that, that I've seen with innovation is that you have to solve real farmers problems. And I think that sometimes that um, we don't understand what that horizon is. And so the question is, why does it take so long in agriculture? The reason is that the, the, the life cycle of you're going to plant corn once, hopefully once, maybe twice a year, um, you're going to sell cattle once, twice a year. So I think when you look at those things, knowing that we don't get the chance to iterate on like you would a technology platform, that's the number one thing. There's not a magic bullet. I think that's the thing that we always look at. If I just apply this, this changes my entire operation. And as we look at data and, and the things that we continue to encourage farmers is you got to collect the data, you've got to look at it, but there isn't necessarily a magic bullet. And the other thing that, that I come back to and, and, and I think about, you know, as simple as something that my dad would say, there's art and science. My dad goes out and walks the fields every day and he wonders what in the heck do I do with all this technology stuff? And I have friends that live in Silicon Valley that work for startups that are building algorithms and models and doing some of the coolest things that you can imagine, bringing ideas and principles from other industries, but they've never met a farmer. And so 
where intent has had success, and I think where the innovation cycle continues to, to kind of meet is where you bring these art and science elements together. You have to appreciate those farmers that walk the field, but we also have to know that you can't walk every field every single day. So we got to bring those two pieces together. And that investment in continuous learning is where I see success. And then making sure that companies that have these cool products can get on farm and use a process like the intent process and the vision trials platform to make this more efficient. Well, folks can learn more online intent.ag with that Kevin Heikis with intent. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate the time. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate it. And we're out of time here on Market Talk. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.